You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. And to ask someone when you're in a conversation, right? I love that. Uh, could you imagine if all of our conversations with one another on Sunday morning started with, where do you serve? No, but hey, really think about that. Like, imagine what it would look like to have your first, like if you, if you meet with someone or you meet someone new, it's, hey, where do you serve? What are you doing? Like, where, where are you putting your hands to plow? Or where, where are your feet in motion? Where do you serve? I think that's such a powerful question that as a church, we could just establish, right? Like, where do you serve? It's, if it's not here, where? Do you serve in our community? Do you serve Canby in some way? Do you, um, do you serve with youth? Do you serve with kids? I think that's such a powerful message. So feel free to use that, right? Don't ask me, but feel free to use, ask someone, like, hey, where do you serve? Um, well, welcome. We're excited you're here. Today is the last sermon in our identity series that we started all the way back in, like, September. Um, we took a slight break, I think, for Christmas, but it was still identity-focused. Like, Ron's really good at that. Um, but we're, we're, today's our last message in this identity series, and I'm really excited that I get to share it and I get to be up here because we're going to talk about freedom a little bit this morning. And before I really also get into it, I know we do have a lot of like resident Chiefs fans uh, in our church. I just want to say good luck to the Chiefs this morning because all I want, no, no, hold on. All I want is the rematch from 2020 with the 49ers. <laughs> so we can just finally get over that hump. Like we've never lost a Super Bowl until then. We just got, we have to get revenge. So I really want the Chiefs to win today. Only so they can lose the 49ers. I'm, I'm a, we love you. Yes, um, revenge is not something we, we say is good. We, we usually were like, oh, revenge is evil. It's bad. Don't do revenge. But it's football. This morning, though, we're going we're gonna to talk about freedom. So we're going to get set free from some stuff. We're going to talk about leaving some stuff behind. And how it relates to our, 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 our identity as we close this series, and I'm really excited because I want to end the series really going after why we absolutely need freedom. Why? Why it's vital to our life, not just vital like to our life, but vital for us and our survival, vital for us to have life and existence and not being responsible. I'm going to say, I, you might have heard me say this when I speak because I'm really passionate about this. Not being responsible for defining ourselves, our identity, or our purpose. Because it's a, it's a scandalous thought and by today's standards that someone would surrender who they are, their identity, and their purpose to be defined for them. In America, we love our freedom. And I'm the first one to be like, I love America. I love freedom, fireworks, you name it, red, white, blue, cheeseburgers. Like I, I have the freedom to eat a cheeseburger. I have the freedom not to eat a cheeseburger. And I love it. And I'm the first to say like, I love my freedom. Freedom to do whatever you want. But are we missing out on the freedom that comes from the release of our pride? I know I'm hitting you hard from the beginning. You're welcome. I want to read uh, a passage from John, the book of John chapter one this morning. Because it talks about our identity and, and, our, and what we're born into and being born again. And it's, uh, Jesus, uh, John is saying this about Jesus. He says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And this is really important because I, I don't know if John, I mean, John did see Revelation and all this, but this verse is so timely today. When you are born, you are born into a family and you are given a name. What is your identity then? Your identity needs to be rooted in something. Most non-Western cultures have their identity rooted in a sense of family. So you look outside of the Western world or Western countries and a lot of their identity is rooted in their family that they're born into, right? Their, their, Their name, their heritage, their history, with very strong family ties. And there can be a lot of pressure in this kind of identity. There can be, they can be pretty suffocating, and you could be disappointed, like you can be a disappointment very easily because you're held to your family's standards for value and self-worth. And we, however, though, in our Western culture and society, we live in a very individualistic society. Rooted in a sense of uh, you determine who you want to be. It is your will that matters. You decide. And you, 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 might, you might even decide, you might say, well, I want to do this, or I want to go off, and I want to do that, whatever it might be. And you go off and you do that thing. But this, is, of course, puts enormous pressure on you as well. See, whether from, our, from family or our own choices, the pressure of identity can be suffocating. We get stuck in this culture of captivity instead of a relationship of freedom. But it's interesting that to be born again according to God and his standards is not to be born by family descent or human decision. We don't, we're, it's not about what we're born into and it's not what we decide for ourselves. See, in John 1, we see a Western and a non-Western identity ideals broken down, right? Family and self. But if you look closely, you'll see uh, what it means to be and receive the right to be called the children, a child of God. To be born not of the will of man, nor of natural descent into a physical family, but born spiritually into a family and becoming children of God. John gets the inspiration that he writes John chapter 1 in from John chapter, a conversation Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Because see, John lived it, he watched it, he saw it all happen, then he wrote this book. And he got to decide what order he stated, what he wanted to state. But it says in John chapter 3, verse uh, 3, Jesus replied to Nicodemus, who's asking him, how does he enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus has this very authentic, very straightforward question. How does a man return to his mother's womb and come back out again? Very literal, physical representation. And I don't think, I I know for sure that that's not possible. So John, Jesus responds later in verse 5 and says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. The Greek word that uh, John uses when he's writing his gospel here is for the word again. 
uh, when he says, you must be born again, is the Greek word anothen. And it look, you can see it up there. That's what it looks like, anothen. And uh, the translation literally means, first off, from above. Born again, born from above. So John is stating that we must be born from above, meaning something from outside of ourselves must intervene when it comes to our identity. It's not a family we're born into. It's not a name we're given by the family we're born into. It's not a name or identity we decide for ourselves. It's something from outside, from above, that has to step in and intervene for our identity. This is how you know your identity is received, church, and not achieved. Your identity is rooted in God's love, and God is your father, not just your boss, not your, only your king, not only your friend. He's your father. And there is an unconditionality there that is so different than any other kind of identity that the world or family can offer. Because identity is this. Identity really can be broken down to a sense of self and a sense of worth. When you have your identity, it's a sense of who you are and what worth you bring. And it's an illusion to say that my identity comes from my inner feelings. People, people say this all the time. Like, you probably heard this phrase, this is who I am, okay? This is, this is who I am. Um, as if you are the one who gets to decide who you are, Right? But what happens when your identity is achieved, church, instead of received? What happens in that lifestyle of, I have achieved my identity instead of, it's been given to me? Benjamin Nugent, who was an award-winning author and writer, was reflecting on his writing towards the end of his career and his life, and he said this, when good writing was my goal in life, <clears throat> I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For this reason, I was not able to read my own writing well. I couldn't tell whether something I had just written was good or bad. I needed it to be good in order to feel sane. I lost the ability to cheerfully interrogate how much I had written and to see what was actually on the page rather than what I would have liked to have seen or what I feared to see. When you make anything your identity, whether it be your career, um, a particular image of your body that you want to represent, um, a relationship, um, those things stop being good things and they begin to crush you. If you have your identity rooted in a relationship, that relationship will crush you. When something becomes our identity, then the quality of our work becomes the measure of our identity, how good we are. To remain sane, we must look at our work and say, this looks great, even when it isn't great. <laughs> because if it's not great, we have no worth. And this is a dangerous place to be in. I mean, we're wondering why there's um, an obscene amount of mental illness in our society today, and let alone in Gen uh, Z, who's coming up behind us. Because there is so much value and worth put on what you can do. When something becomes our identity, we are not able to look at our identity realistically, and we definitely don't take any criticism against it, right? 
the room for questions about our identity, challenges to our identity, and the possibility of failure or it being wrong is gone because everything rides on the fact that we picked it, we chose it, it's good. And if anything else says it's not, it can't be true because then our identity, our worldview, our worth, our sense of self is crushed. It's crushing. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. I, I love this. He says, we are not really proud of having money, right? We're proud of having more money than the next person. We're not really proud of being smart. We're proud of being smarter than the next person. Picture this. You are, maybe you're the best violinist in the town of Canby here. Little town of Canby, Oregon. You're number one. Everyone's like, oh, that, that person over there, they're the best violin player I've ever heard in my entire life. And you, you go, that's great. Like, I'm the best violin player here in, in Oregon. I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to make it. I'm going to play in theaters. I'm going to play on Broadway. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to play musicals. And you get to New York, and you see someone playing on the street who's better than you, who's just playing for coins and dollar bills. And they're more talented than you, and they have more skill than you, and they love it more than you do. But they are on the street corner just playing for what they can get. <clears throat> that is not a good feeling to be stuck in, right? You feel, you, you, you're gonna, this is because any identity that is achieved rather than see, received must be excluding. Let me say this one more time. Any identity that is achieved rather than received from God must be excluding. You feel better because those other people are not as good as you. They're not as enlightened as you. They're not as liberal as you. They're not as conservative as you. They're not as hardworking as you are. They're not as insightful as you are. That is how you feel good about yourself by looking at other people and just trashing them and excluding them to make your identity feel more real, to feel better, and to feel, honestly, to feel successful in life. What kind of identity do we need, though? I'm going to ask that. Here's, here's what we need. You can't take yourself and bless yourself and name yourself. You can't do that. You need recognition. You need somebody from outside to come in and speak over you. Our Western culture has moved away from this, unfortunately. We say, like, we're social beings, we're relational beings, we, we this is who we are, we have to be this way. And people may even say online, like, I've done this or I've done that or my family has rejected me and they don't like me anymore, they don't, they don't recognize me. And so because of that, they're just going to say, but I am who I am, right? Going back to, I am who I am, and this is who I am. And people on social media will flock to them, and they will recognize them, and they will give them value and worth for that identity they have adopted. And this person then who, who has alienated their family because they haven't accepted who they are now has traded one set of cheerleaders who loves them and adores them for another set of cheerleaders who just lift them up. It's a very dangerous place we're living in today. These people threw away people who are for them for other people who are for them because they supported their identity that they wanted to have. You must have a word from outside. Someone has to name you. Someone had to look at me and say, this is Ryan. When I was born, my mom looked at me and said, this is Ryan. I didn't get born and go, guess what? That's my name's Ryan. Make sure you pick that one. Don't pick Brian. That's off the table. What kind of person should this be, though? What kind of person gets to name you? What person looks at you and says, this is who this is? Let me tell you about 
this amazing creation? Well, you need, to, you need the love and approval and esteem of someone you esteem if you are to have any self-esteem. This person, whoever it should be, it should not be someone who could ever let you down. If you get your self-worth from anyone who could ever let you down, you will, your self-worth will then vanish. Your self-worth cannot come from someone who will ever be up and down with you based on how you perform. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to be performing at 100% perfectly all the time. <clears throat> the, think about this. It is said the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. Only if you have the esteem of someone you esteem will you have any self-esteem. And to know the adoration of someone who adores you, then you will truly know the God who loves you. Because God adores you. I think we uh, in our culture have kind of gotten rid of the word adore. Um, I adore my wife very much, but I, there's no way I could ever adore her the, the same way God adores her. In her words, she's his favorite. Not mine. She says that. That would have to give you the most powerful, though, basis for a stable identity, right? It is... Is, 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 it, is it based on your performance? No, it's not based on performance. And it, because of that, it is stable. You don't need to look back and look down at everyone else all the time. In other words, the excluding aspect of your identity goes away. So how do we get there? You're adopted in God's family. That is a new identity. You are a citizen of heaven. For um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, church, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. When I just say that, it feels so abstract, though, sometimes. Like, we're just, we are waiting. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're waiting for that. But Jesus does not simply name us by showing up and giving us a new name or declaring, you're mine. He died for us so that uh, you lose that excluding aspect of the modern idea of identity so that you have something coherent, you know, something so you know who you are. You will know an identity that is not achieved, but is believed. How do we do that? First, you have to believe he died for you. I know that that's something that maybe some of us don't in this room don't struggle with, but maybe some of us do that you were worthy of that, that you were worthy of him dying for you, that you even deserve what's been given to you. I'll tell you a secret, none of us do. John chapter 10, verse 11 uh, says this. This is how I know, because Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's why I know Jesus died for me. Because he declared, this is who I am, and this is what a good shepherd would do. When you are struggling with what culture says about your identity because you're not good looking enough, you're not, smarting, you're not smart enough, you're not having that intimate relationship with your spouse you wish you could have or you think you should have, you must learn how to pick out your identity in Christ and push it to the top so as to filter out all of the noise so only your identity in Jesus is seen, heard, and experienced. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 say this about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, you have the same, you must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, right? Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Sorry, my mic is being a little finicky. Jesus lost everything. He was crucified for you outside the city gates. They didn't even like do it inside the city, like, let's get this guy out of here. He made himself of no reputation, and he did that for you. Why do I care what my status and my reputation is? Jesus made himself of no reputation, no status. The, and, like, and then he, or we could have an identity that excludes and feels value, all this stuff, but Jesus made himself of no reputation, no status, and became a servant. Think about the word servant there. How did this, he did this so that he could have freedom, so that we could have freedom. Why do we then shackle ourselves away from that freedom that he gave us by clinging to reputation and status? We are truly free when we come to this realization that freedom comes with surrender. Freedom comes with receiving not asking or, or achieving. And it can't stop with just, I believe it, though. We, might, we have to get into our, the, into our imagination. And we do this regularly through, you know, through worship, thinking through and applying what God has spoken to us in our lives in the right moment. There's a lot in God's word that applies to our lives right now and applying it in the right moment. Or we can have an identity that excludes to feel value. And then we're just right back where everybody else is, a culture of captivity, culture that says, I will elevate myself to feel worth, to feel a sense of who I am. <clears throat> Believe it, then worship him, church. And I'm not pretending to reinvent the wheel here or say anything that everyone in this room doesn't already know. Believe it and worship him. How are you getting it down to, into your imagination what Jesus has done for you on a naming level? in your heart. When you think about your faith in God and Jesus, his son, about the Holy Spirit, how are you using your imagination? Because we believe in some stuff that most people would say, that's crazy. Did you tell me the guy died and he came back to life? Okay. You're telling me a guy really got swallowed by a giant fish once? and then the fish happened to spit him out and he landed not in the ocean on dry land, the odds of that are astronomical. Use your, we have to use our imagination a little bit to say, how can I in myself get down to that naming level of faith that I will accept what God has given me? God gave us an escape into a relationship of freedom. Freedom that says, you can choose me or reject me and I will still accept you and choose you. Amen to that. He does this because God is capable of naming you, right? God knows you on a level of your identity. He knows you in such a way to know your thoughts, your desires, your giftings. He knows those because he gave them to you. The one who gave you life is the one who has the authority to identify you. I want to uh, remind you that it doesn't matter you know, what people have called you or even what you've called yourself. There's only one who has the right and the authority to tell you who you are. Think about that for a second. 
circumstances may have made things difficult for you in your life. Maybe you were born into circumstances that were not the same as most people. Circumstances that may have made, even labeled you as something. Circumstances that maybe are a cause of choices you've made. But they are not powerful enough to identify you. Your circumstances are not powerful enough to identify you. God has the authority and the power to overcome our circumstances, our labels, our faults, our failures, shoot, our successes that get to our head and our pride. Someone say amen to that. How do I know this? Because Jesus told us he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. John chapter 10 verses 1 through 3 says this. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who's not entered the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Remember those words. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls them his own sheep by name. Gosh, I love the Bible. And leads them out. He calls them by name. Jesus knows your identity because he gave it to you. Only the good shepherd enters the sheep pen through the gate. Everyone else who enters the pen must do so through other means. They, they got to sneak in. They got to climb over the wall if it's possible. I'm just going to say, why do we allow people who have snuck into our lives in hopes of stealing that authority that belongs to God to have any say in our identity? Why do we allow people of this world who does not belong where we belong, who does not have the power or the authority to speak on matters that have anything to do with our identity, why do we give them the authority and the power to do so? Why do we think we have the authority to decide our own identity for ourselves? See, God has given us the freedom to choose for ourselves or to choose him. There's a lot of freedom in that choice. He didn't force anything on you. He didn't say, this is what you are going to do. He said, I love you. Here's your options. Because it boils down to all the way back in the garden. When God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. If God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, there is no way that love exists because there's no other option. Love is chose. It's not forced. Love is experienced. It's not said, it's not a command that you must do something that you can't force. That's what I love about love. You can't force someone to love something. I can't force the Chiefs fans to come over to my side on the 49ers. I can't do it. Thank you. So I want to ask the question that we started with this series off with, and it's been up on, the, on, our, on our stage this entire time. Who does God say that you are? Who do you say that I am? Today's a great opportunity to go home or to even pray when we're, when we're concluding service today. If we'll have prayer teams available. If you want prayer for that, we'd love to pray for you. It's asking that question, who does God say that I am? Allow God's word and his truth to rise to the top amidst all the noise that seeks to measure you based on the quality of your work. If you base your identity on the quality of your worth, you will be, never be satisfied. Never. But if you live in the identity God has given you, then instead of achieving emptiness, you receive freedom. Freedom from all the pressure, church. 
Wouldn't you rather live a life where freedom is received instead of worth is achieved? And I'll leave you with this. John chapter 10, verse 10 is this. John chapter 10 has been on my life for the last like five years. And you've pro- I've said this verse in multiple sermons from this stage and to our students all the time. And then my st- our students are probably like, they have this verse like John 10, 10, I know, Ryan, but it, the thief comes, they steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I want to close with this. A guy named Kerry Newhoff, um, who is a, he, he's written a bunch of books on faith and theology. He's on church and all this. He, he states this. Actually, it was on his Instagram recently. But he said, people in culture today are not starved for information. They're starved for meaning. We live in an age that has no scarcity of information, but an incredibly low amount of meaning. The church is uniquely positioned to answer the question, why, in a world that is fascinated with the question of what? We can bring a passion for why back into the world because we have the answer to the question of what. What is all this for? What is this all about? What is my identity? What am I doing here? Instead of asking why. Why do I have value? Why am I here? Why does this world exist? Because a God saw you while you were in your mother's womb a long time ago and said, I want a relationship with that. What are, you know, these questions of, we even like, what are your pronouns? What is your gender? What is your political party? What do you want to do with your life? That's what our students ask all the time. Like, I'm so tired of that question. What is your position on, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever it is? See, the what questions do not matter if we know the answer to the why. We have the answer to why it's Jesus. And that identity is worth sharing because it was given freely. Okay, we're ex- I'm really excited at this. We're excited. We're going to be getting into the book of Romans starting next Sunday. So if you're listening to this sermon here online or in person, like Romans, don't miss out on our series to the book of Romans. It's the, the title's called Not Ashamed. And as we've been talking about identity since September and like the importance of our identity and all the different like ways that the, what the world says, what the Bible says, what God has declared, and now, church, we get to walk into the book of Romans. We get to walk into a series where we're talking about how we are not ashamed of the identity we have received. Man, we can answer the, all the what questions when we boldly tell others in a very loving way the why. We are not ashamed. And I say in a loving way, very intentionally, because <laughs> it, it, you, you lose any relational equity or any reason to be in a conversation if you choose to react and respond with anger, with um, exclusion, with saying my way is better. Because it's not our way, it's better, it's God's way. Amen? Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning, as we close this series? And I want to pray specifically over our church and the identity of Camby Foursquare, of our town. And I want to ask this question too. We're going to have people up here. Uh, we'll have prayer teams available. If you're struggling right now with your identity or you're struggling with where you fit in God's kingdom or if you're struggling right now with anything, really, we would love to pray for you. I would challenge you and encourage you to come up and receive prayer this morning. So Lord, we, are, we humble ourselves this morning. 
I would say, I would even say like, I would want to pray for not just our church, but the church across the world in general and just repent of ways that we have made it about ourselves and not you, where we've said we know better instead of you, where we've said our way is better and not yours, God. Lord God, where the church has said, we know who we are and I can define myself instead of saying, we know who God says we are. We know what God's mission in the world is. We know where God's passion is. We pray from this moment forward, Lord, like help us, especially can be Foursquare, be a church that is passionate about what you're passionate about, that strives to do the things that you are calling us to do, that moves when you move, that does what you do, Lord, that we are making disciples, Lord, that we're asking the questions, where do you serve? What is your relationship like? What are you doing right now? What's God doing in your life? Because that's really what you're at. we're asking, Lord, when we say, where do you serve? We're saying, what is God doing in your life? What's he using you to go and do? But God, I pray that you would help us moving forward, not be ashamed. Lord, take away shame. Uh, and the shame that comes from saying your name out loud in public circles sometimes, even speaking the name Jesus can cause discomfort. Lord, I pray that you would remove that shame from us as we go into the book of Romans. God, I pray that you would remove anxiety or you would remove um, things that would stop us, things that would bring shame on us. Lord, I pray that we would encounter your creation with boldness, knowing who we are because we know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Church, would you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.